Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world, back with another episode of Basic Cryptonomics. CryptoTalkRadio.net is the site. And I've got a, quite a few things to discuss. I also have an underdog token. The underdog token information would have gone out through our YouTube channel first. I'm going to add that to the audio here today because I think you should be able to hear it as well. And as always, I appreciate everyone who's listening to the show, regardless of what platform you're coming in from, whether that's YouTube or Spotify or iTunes or any of the other ones. We're all over the place. CryptoTalkRadio.net is what you want to share to any friends or family you think would have some value or find value in the audio that we share. And I want to stress, there's a lot going on as I committed to you. And if you're new to the show, you didn't hear this and I'll repeat it until we're completed. But for those that have been on the show and have heard, I am in the process of doing the March changes as we speak. Of course, that involves moving the platform to its new host. Now, that's, again, a non-disruptive change. You should not see anything different from what you do now. Everything should automatically redirect to the new host from wherever you're subscribed, especially if you're coming from major platforms like iTunes, Spotify, and even the local applications. It should be a transparent change. However, if you run into any situations where you're not seeing our updates every Tuesday and Thursday, and of course, time zone differences flex that, but every Tuesday and Thursday is our schedule for releases. So if you're not getting updates every Tuesday or Thursday, I would ask you to go to CryptoTalkRadio.net, fill out the form so we can take a look and see what may be going on after we do this move. I don't expect there will be any disruption. I've tested it with our other podcast, which is A Gentleman's World. That has gone very, very well. And I'm going to be I'm going to be very excited to get this one over and benefiting as Gentleman's World has benefited from the new host. So that's coming and I'm working on that fervently. I'm also working on websites. Each of the podcasts will have their own actual site as I transition away from Linktree. I'll still use Linktree for certain features and things, but there's a lot I need to do. And in order to do it, I need to have my own website that I have control over, which brings me to a pit that won't, this won't affect the majority, but, and certain people won't even hear this because of what's happening. So if you have friends or people that you shared that are in the situation, I asked you to please kind of translate over to them. I'm going to be putting an update out on our various sources for people to know. We identified a challenge with our help guide for anybody who is hearing disabled, where it does not allow you to link to certain things like I need it to, as they told me it was supposed to do. This was only brought to my attention because I happened to be going through to make some updates and notice that links don't work. You can still do the basic instructions, but there are some important links to external information that don't work. And without those, you're not able to take best advantage of the help guide. So if you're hearing disabled, it's kind of a struggle for you. Now, if you're going through our YouTube, the closed captioning works every single one we've tested. Those work fine. And for the podcast, it should work, but we want to make sure that you know how to enable it. And that's a browser setting. And we assumed that we'd be able to just send you over to the browser settings. That appears not to be the case. So with the new website, one thing I'm going to do is transition away from the current help desk tool and over to a dedicated help desk tool that I control. Then I'm going to build in the new site. That way this does not happen in the future. Ultimately, the settings for hearing disabled for the podcast, if you're coming across the podcast through a website, it is part of the browser settings where you can enable 
captions. It'll automatically do it if you're on a Chrome-based browser. If you're coming from iTunes or Spotify or some other local application that you're running on your device, let's say it's your Android or Apple. I know Android has a built-in setting for captions and I had some instructions to turn that on. That link doesn't work, but if for now you can guide them to just do a search on enabling captions on Android and it'll come up with the link. Apple does not have such a feature that I'm aware of. So you're going to need to go to the web version in order to get captions on that one. If it does have that feature, please let us know at CryptoTalkRadio.net and share those steps and we'll add it to the guide and we'll greatly appreciate you because you'll be helping people that want this information but are not able to hear us. We want to make sure that we are accessibility friendly as much as we can. With that said, let's go ahead and jump into our news. And fortunately, there's not a lot of news that you don't already know or are not aware of. Of course, the biggest news is Joe Biden has released the executive order around the cryptocurrency space. And I have said on multiple occasions that I believe this is a precursor to a lockdown on cryptocurrency. The reason I believe this is because we know that the current administration is anti-cryptocurrency. They don't like cryptocurrency because they don't like people having control of their own wealth. We've seen them time and again express this in the public from Janet Yellen talking about wanting to get into people's private wallets and the IRS wanting to change the tax treatment of a thing, various bills to try to lock stuff down. And then, of course, those outside of the United States, maybe coming from countries that have put in bans, explicit bans or lockdowns. There are other countries that are welcoming and embracing it, like the EU has done so, El Salvador has done so. So it's mixed. And if you remember a past episode, I talked about the fact that I believe he was in India, one of the prime ministers that said, we are not, we countries are not on the same page with how we treat cryptocurrency. We need to have one answer. If we just create our stovepipe solutions, that doesn't serve the best interest of everybody. So that's kind of a struggle. Now, there are people in the Senate And this goes to the previous administration, not the current. But there are people in the Senate that have been trying to create laws and advocate for cryptocurrency because they believe that this is where we need to go as a society in the United States, mostly around Bitcoin. I think that Bitcoin is kind of exempt from a lot of the excuses that are flying, even though the energy use is still a thing. I think generally we've we've kind of come to grips with the idea that Bitcoin isn't going anywhere. They just want to kind of put parameters around it. And the only reason Bitcoin is kind of safe is because Bitcoin for now is being traded just like the stock market. It's it's subject to the whims of hedge funds. You can't really make independent wealth anymore like you used to. It's it's out in the public. It's there's more regulation that looks at it. So I think with some of these cryptocurrencies that are kind of more established and they fit within the stock market rules, those are less likely to be banned or restricted or harmed by whatever the current administration does. The problem is, is that I don't think that Bitcoin by itself is going to be the answer for everybody in the world. I don't think that it's going to be like if you think about the number of people in the world, there's billions of people in the world. Bitcoin supply to me is not sufficient to try to peg to it or do any of this, because when you try to do that, at some point, Bitcoin's price is going to become unreasonable and unsustainable. We know that. And then it's going to block out the low level. Now with gold, it never got to that point because of scare, true, not only scarcity, but scarcity of availability. Like you can't go and get new gold. The mining of gold has kind of dwindled down. 
And even though there's constraints on the existing inventory, most of the governments have moved away from pegging directly to it, which has kind of helped control the price to some degree. Then you got the United States that's just printing money hand over fist. And that's, of course, created inflation. Now people are trying to look and see how can we kind of get controls around this? And I think certain of the government is trying to say, well, yes, we do need to have some regulations, smart regulations, but we shouldn't be doing this lockdown that we anticipate they're going to be trying to do. And let's be clear. A lot of this is simply in advance of the whole November deal, right? We expect there's going to be a blowout. We expect the current administration is going to get washed because of all the bad policies they did from the moment the current president got in office to now. We think that they're just going to get washed out. If they get washed out, we expect that the replacement would be more pro-cryptocurrency because it would financially benefit them. We can't know 100%, but we do expect that that is going to potentially be the case. In other news, Bitcoin mining, of course, energy use deep, deep, deep. There's, there was a number of other byproducts to Bitcoin mining. One of those is noise. Out in Tennessee, there was a facility spun up for Bitcoin mining. If you've seen Bitcoin mining facilities, they tend to be, you know, large warehouses. So obviously Echo is going to come into place. They have fans, the fans are, and you have multiple of the machines and they're pretty loud. It creates kind of this loud whirring noise. Apparently out in Tennessee, they had this person spun up a mining facility and the neighbors, and I don't know how this would have worked, but I suspect what's happened is a zoning breach. But the neighbors were complaining that this was creating too much noise. So it wasn't that energy was the problem. They just said it's too dang loud. Now, the only reason this even got to court is because zoning in the United States is very picky about how you have certain types of buildings and organizations. So when you have a, let's say, Bitcoin mining facility, normally that's going to fall under industrial, not in a residential zone. So you could not take and create some sort of a factory and plop it right down in the middle of a residential suburb because there's only laws. So the suspicion is that where he put this thing is what created the, the problem. Now, the counter to this is, well, it's my property. I can do what I want with my property. There's not that much noise. It's not that big of a deal. I can do things to kind of mitigate this and I can work with it. But ultimately, I have the right to have it here because I'm not doing anything outside of my own property boundary. That's true. Now, the challenge, of course, is that noise doesn't really care about property boundary laws. The only way you could have get any kind of defense there is if the HOA were to say, no, he's don't worry about it, it's fine. But there are laws actually on the books about disturbance, civil disturbance. Civil disturbance can come into play if you're creating enough noise that is detrimental to the health or lives of those around, regardless of property boundaries. That's why you can't just have loud parties every single night. You're going to get knocked out because they're going to call the cops on you and get something happening. Or if you're just popping off fireworks excessively, that's why they have certain time frames. There's a lot of things around noise. And so this is new. This is not just the energy use. They didn't seem to care about the energy use. They seem to care about the noise that these are generating, which means you're going to need to rethink the zoning because if it's if you don't agree that the mining should be industrial, you're going to probably need to create a new type of zone because it's certainly not commercial and it's certainly not residential. So if it's not industrial, what's left means you're probably going to have to create a thing and we'll have to see what that looks like. 
Another bit of news is around the executive order itself. And I want to go into this just ever, ever slightly. I'm not going to go extensive into it because I don't think it's worth the time or energy, but just a little bit of it in how this works. So in the executive order, I talked about before the desire to create this digital dollar and force everything to a digital dollar. The, the thing is, the president of this executive order talks about the digital dollar and talks about this is the way we need to go and talks about this is kind of what we need to standardize on. And in a past episode, I talked about the risk behind digital dollar, that being it forces everything into the current banking structure, right? I need to do a certain thing to send over 10,000. Now I got to walk into a branch and I got to show an ID, do all this that is totally counter to cryptocurrency. It's not in support of the way cryptocurrency was designed to work. It also assume it's also inheriting the same inflation because you're still, you're essentially wanting to peg to the current inflation issue instead of something that can help solve it if we adopt it correctly. Also, you're moving away from the freedom that people have in order to obtain the cryptocurrency as opposed to today where you have to rely in this structure, you'd have to rely on different, the government basically to issue you cryptocurrency, all you're doing is copying the same flaws of the fiat system over into cryptocurrency. And nobody really wants this. Nobody really supports that. The counter also in the executive order was, of course, entities around Bitcoin as one of the compelling reasons to consider the digital coin because it'll let them print it at will. This, of course, does not speak to, as I've said, the fact that they're trying to move to proof of stake the fact that there are things in flight to try to address the energy usage. And we don't even think it's about energy. We think that's an excuse. They're just using energy as the predominant excuse to try to force people into a different cryptocurrency and move it to where you lose control and you lose privacy and you lose freedom. Because here's the thing. If they do what I suspect they'll do and many of us think that they will do, which is try to lock down access to cryptocurrency, we think it's more harmful than beneficial. We don't believe that that's truly going to be the right way to go. And the urgency that they're stressing this need for a digital coin speaks of, they think that, no, we need to control this. We need to run it and have total autonomy to dictate how things go, which also lessens your ability to get access to it, which limits your ability to be enriched by it. Goes to my point, I've kept saying that I don't believe that they want people to be able to generate independent wealth. I don't believe that they want people to be off the system. I think they want dependency on the system and socialism and that sort of thing. They've said so multiple occasions. And I think that this is them cramming something in prior to the expected November blowout. I firmly believe this and I haven't seen any evidence to the contrary. I do see all the experts that are coming out saying this is great. We need regulation. Da, 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 da. Nobody discounts the need for regulation. But we do think that the regulation needs to be smart regulation. It can't be just rushed in there off a of freaked out ex expansion. And that's what this feels like it's doing. It's freaked out expansion, not well thought out expansion. And that's a concern to me. It's a concern to many other people. I think it should be a concern to you, even if you're not in the United States, because remember, a lot of countries they pattern themselves off of what the United States does. That means they would potentially inherit the flaws of the United States government and any decisions they made. Remember, 
this whole business with sticking stuff, forcing stuff in people's arms and forcing stuff on people's face and all that, that was a follow me too, based on what the United States did. We don't think it's the right answer to, uh, to move away from individual choice and allowing people to make freedom of their own decisions for their own reasons. Some people are high risk people, some risk are low risk people, and not everybody needs to be quote protected, but that feels like what we always want to try to do is to protect people. And I just don't think that's the right answer. Now, some internal news. This is around the crypto, basic cryptonomics. As we worked through what we're reviewing and all these different tokens, it occurred to me that I needed to do something a little bit more. And this was predominantly for the YouTube folks. But as I thought about it, there's going to be more to it. I'm going to be building it over time. And then I'll make it available through the podcast. Of course, the podcast is audio. So you'll be able to access it if you want it through CryptoTalkRadio.net. One of the services that will be available to you at some point in the near future is the ability to subscribe to these alerts and updates when these are published. This is called, I call it the score report. And I want to explain this to you in very simple terms. But let me first just play a little snippet of audio that I played for the YouTube crowd around this new scorecard and how it's planned to work. So I was doing a research on a token that it's on a pre-sale allegedly, and it's on pink sale. And one thing I've said is anytime it's on pink sale, I'm going to automatically consider it risky. I need to quantify that though. So here's the announcement for today's episode before I get into this token. I'm going to be building a matrix and the matrix is going to be kind of a scorecard. And I'm going to break down all of the criteria that I cover And then it's going to be part of the thumbnail so you can always follow along. This will hopefully help people that are not listening to the totality of my audio. And I'm going to put a score metric against each one of these so that hopefully it helps you realize why I gauge certain tokens certain ways. There are very specific things I look for, certain things I weigh higher than others. And I'm going to be working on that probably tomorrow-ish. I'm not sure. It depends on the happenings of this weekend. I'm going to work on that, finalize that, put a brand on it, and then make it available. In the future, there will be more tools that will be part of the subscription model that's coming soon. In the short term, I'm going to just make the scorecard available so you can follow along with my thought process. So that's out. It's available. If you're on the YouTube side, you can see it on some of the newer posts that I've put up. For any time I'm covering a token, I believe I've got two or three of them up there now, And I'll be working on some of the additional ones, but the score report that my vision for this is it's going to grow. The first pass is very simple. It's going to have two sides. The free side is just the high level view of a crypto. When I go look at it, what am I looking for at a high level? I'm not talking about the deep innards of the way it works. I'm talking about just on the surface that anybody can do. And I encourage you to, if you get a chance at CryptoTalkRadio.net, And under the section for the podcast, you go to YouTube and check out any of the videos that are more recent, like say within the last week or so, you'll see like the last two that I've covered a crypto, you'll see the score report on the thumbnail after you hit play, it's on the thumbnail. And then take a look at the criteria that I'm going through and I give it a score. This gives you a very high level visual of kind of what's in my head so that when you're doing an evaluation of a crypto, You can feel free to say, you know, I don't care about what he cares about, but it's good to know at least what he's looking at so that you can find the same patterns for yourself. I had somebody comment on YouTube that said, you know, I have a high tolerance for 
risk. And so for me, I don't care if I lose it all, but I appreciate the way you cover it because at least you tell me here's what you're looking for. And I'll, I'll, you even tell me it's a high risk project. So I know that I can go find those. Yes, that's my goal. So if you're a high risk person, I try to provide that to you. And if you want to go in it, I support you doing that as long as we accept that it's a high risk and it's, it's money you could lose. And if you don't care, cool. The score report is simply designed to tell you why at a high level, I would say it's kind of sketchy. There's also going to be a more premium version of that report, more built out, more detailed. That one's going to be part of a future subscription. I talked about the thought about our subscription model and a value add where you'd lose nothing of the podcast, nothing of what you have today. Everything you have today would stay the same. I'm committed to doing that. The subscription will be value add things if you want to dig in. This is going to go way into the weeds. We're talking in the KYC reports I'm going to be taking a look at. We're talking in-depth reviews of the code where I see it. We're talking the audit reports, if any. We're talking more than just a high level of what I see on the surface so that you can really understand kind of the analysis that I do. And that'll be available in the subscription area if you want it. But you don't have to do it. You don't have to subscribe if you don't want to. This is coming into the future. For now, everybody will have access to the basic score report. And once I have the, the uh, section available for, and I've, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Substack, but it might be something else, but there's going to be a function where you can subscribe just to receive notifications and messages. The score report will be part of that. So you'll get an email. If you sign up, once I have it ready, you'll get an email and it'll have the free version of the score report, the summary along with the any notifications and any other updates that I want to share. All that's in flight, all that's being worked on uh, as we speak. So keep an ear out for all of that here in the very near future. I mentioned at the top of the show, I had done my evaluation of the underdog token and that went out to YouTube. I'm going to add that audio here now and then we're going to go ahead and wrap up uh, today's episode just real quick so that you know. I'm building a whole new set of websites, first for the main CTR, as well as one for basic cryptonomics. So you're going to, the links will be the same. So the cryptotalkradio.net will be the same link. Nothing will change. What's going to happen is when I have that done, I'm going to do an update on that next podcast episode, letting you know it's done. Go check it out. It'll have the same functions, but I think it'll be a lot more organized, a lot more easy to navigate, and I'll have better control over the information. So I can make sure that things don't break like what happened with the, the uh, talk through points. And then at some point in the future, I'm not sure when, the subscription area that I'm talking about will give you access to certain exclusive videos of guests that we've done. And I'm really excited about that one. So if you're a video kind of person, in addition to the audio, and you subscribe, you'll get access to see those videos. Now, currently, a lot of these tokens don't want the smoke. If you have investments that you're in and you want to have them talked on the show and get hit with hard questions about the project that you want to care about, I encourage you to let them know. CryptoTalkRadio.net, fill out the form that says be a guest on the show so we can get them on. I would love to talk to them. So far, none of them wanted the smoke and that's really disappointing because I do want to try to help projects succeed. We recently had one launch called Crypto Vault. I did a YouTube-based coverage on that one and unfortunately, it it's tanked since because they had certain fundamentals missing that I could have warned them about and they're largely ignoring us. So if you have projects you care about and you want them to succeed, send them our way, let them know, just take the smoke, take it on the chin 
It's going to help you. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to prove to investors that you're actually serious. Stop going after shillers. Go after somebody who's right down the middle. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our underdog token. I'll go ahead and kick that off here right now. It's time for me to provide some coverage on a crypto that's coming out here very shortly. This, by the time you hear this on YouTube, will be very shortly prior to the impending launch of this token. By the time you hear it on the podcast, this token likely will have already launched. So I'm trying to time this flawlessly if possible. And then, of course, I will share it on social media to make sure everybody gets full exposure. This one is brought was brought to my attention via social media, actually. But I had dug for I talked to Mr. Sagala on a past episode. If you go back in the archives at CryptoTalkRadio.net, Josh Sagala was discussing the idea or the problem, I'll say, of how do you make sure that cryptocurrency that is owned or transacted is still made available and accessible long after you're gone. So picture a scenario, and I can resonate with this given my age, picture a scenario where you may have accumulated a certain amount of wealth in the form of cryptocurrency. And as we know, cryptocurrency frequently takes a long time to generate any realistic value. And so you may have accumulated wealth that has not realized yet. You have purchased it or you received it or airdropped it. And then at some point, years after the fact, it automatically has jumped to whichever value is its peak. Now, if you were, let's say, to run into a train or in a car wreck or a plane crash or just die of old age or something else, Remember that the nature of private wallets is that unless if you gave access to the key to somebody else, they're not going to be able to easily get access to this. And you are told not to give your key, your private key to anybody. You're told not to give your mnemonic phrase to anybody. So as a result, it's possible that some of that could be lost for a long time. Now, this is not unique to cryptocurrency because in the fiat world, if you have money in a bank account and the bank account is only in your name and somebody passes and that money is still in the bank account, it's well known that it's kind of a pain to get access to these funds. I'll tell you a very humorous story. There was a rumor that my great aunt, this is on my mother's side, had buried or my uncle who I don't believe I even met, but there was a rumor that they had buried a large jar full of dollar coins somewhere in the backyard under a tree. And nobody ever took the time to vet whether this is true or not, but it causes one, this used to be a thing that you would always hold on to cash fiat because you didn't trust access through the banks. And so you would hold it somewhere on the property and then like on your deathbed or maybe in a will or maybe in a last letter or something, you would tell somebody, hey, go dig here and get access to the money. Or in extreme cases, this is like in the 1800s, you would have some of these people that would request to be buried with their wealth because they didn't want anybody to get to it. So you hear stories about the pyramids being you know, stolen or, or looted, right? And this conversation is an ongoing problem. Now, what the United States government at least tried to do in order to deal with it somewhat is you've got investment things that you can do where you can kind of put money away 
or that you can give money to somebody else or kind of put it as a store of value. Things like bonds. Most people don't know that when you file your taxes, if you do it through H&R Block, and I believe some of the other ones have opened this up, but it used to be only through H&R Block, you can allocate a portion of your tax refund to getting Series I bonds. The problem with that is they're paper bonds and you have to take them to a bank to cash them out and you have to sit on them for five years for them to get any value. And at the after that point, it's only like 10% value. So it's not a lot of appreciated value. You can try to convert them to the digital form. The problem is, is that the online site that they use for the digital form jumps you through a bunch of hoops and it's a nightmare to the point that they force you to walk into a bank branch and get a bank manager to stamp something on a piece of paper. That's how bad it is. They, they really don't want you to use this tool. So the paper bonds are a great way if I wanted to preserve some measure of wealth because it doesn't lose value. Even through inflation, it doesn't ever lose any value. It doesn't appreciate very well, but it doesn't lose its store of value. So you can buy a bunch of these bonds and then hand them down to a child or to a niece or whatever so that you persist the value over time. Well, this concept in fiat, there is, as I talked to Mr. Sagala, there was a, there's something to this that in cryptocurrency, there never was really a solution to this problem of how do you make sure that cryptocurrency can also be transferred to somebody, but also kind of not persist its value, but be accessible and available without the risks or the the hoops that it takes. Remember that if you're listening to this, you're either new to cryptocurrency, chances are, or you're experienced enough to understand and remember what it was like when you were new and you realize that it's been a pain. It always has been. You have to set up a wallet. Well, there's tons of wallets out there to choose from. You need to choose a wallet that's going to work for you. Then you have to learn how to use it. If you're not technically savvy, this can be somewhat of a pain. So most people defer to Coinbase wallet, which is crap. If you go through the exchanges, they can lock it down whenever they choose. Plus KYC is a pain. It's, it's all problematic. So in comes CryptoVault, CryptoVault.net. It is not the only one in the space that does this but it is one of the more notable ones. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. I had to give you the preference and that's why it took so long, but I had to give you the preference preface for what I was going to talk about with crypto vault, crypto vault.net is its site on the Binance smart chain. The problem that it's trying to solve is exactly what I described is being able to issue what is essentially a cryptocurrency certificate. That is a store of value certificate, whether that's for cryptocurrency, NFT, but then it has a unique identifier and you can issue it to someone and it can, and then you can redeem it after a period of point. So it works very similar to bonds, but it tries the, the biggest problem that it tries to solve is to simplify the learning curve that it takes in order to get into cryptocurrency the first time, because you can basically issue somebody something that has the same value appreciation capability as cryptocurrency without the overhead involved in it. This got a lot of eyes on it. On social media, it's been going like crazy. They did a pre-sale recently. The pre-sale sold out pretty darn quick and it's expected to climb significantly in value. That was one thing that stood out was it's solving a real world problem. And it's a problem that's outside of the crypto bubble because you have people that, I know a lot of people that either looked at cryptocurrency and backed off because it was too much headache 
or they were in cryptocurrency and they quit because of the scams. And so having something like this that can help solve both issues, I think has strong potential to help bridge that gap. Additionally, if it's done correctly, and this is what's unknown from the docs, and I'll talk about that in a second, if it's done correctly, it could help insulate away from the damage of the current administration and their executive order and the Janet Yellens of the world. It depends on how they implement it. If they implement it in a way, it seems like what they're doing. And if they want to come on the show, I would love to talk to them and I want the smoke. But it seems like what they're doing is basically when the certificates issued, it is spinning up a separate wallet address tied to that certificate by that unique identifier specifically to that cryptocurrency so that every cryptocurrency that has a wallet would have its own wallet address. Now, who would have access to the transactional data outside of the blockchain? By which I mean, you can purchase these certificates with a fiat. So you can take your debit card, credit card, and just purchase it. So let's say you wanted to gift somebody. This is a great Christmas thing for those that practice Christmas holiday. Let's say you wanted to give a bunch of people $100 Bitcoin certificates, right? Because you know that Bitcoin is likely to go back up at some point in the future. You can use your debit card to buy these certificates, hand them the certificates, and then they just sit on it. It's just a store of value until the date of redemption. And it's a great way to get them into cryptocurrency without having to spend time educating them about wallets and wallet addresses and blockchains and exchanges and et cetera. But who has access to that transactional data? The correlation between who owns that debit card to the actual transaction, because in some countries, it might actually be illegal to do the transaction at all, much less with fiat. And those people might get in trouble if there's a direct connection between the fiat and the certificate. Second, who owns custody of the data behind the certificate, by which I mean, in order for, if, if what I'm thinking is correct and they spin up a new wallet address, for each certificate, that means that Crypto Vault, the service, would have access to the mnemonic or the private key for that wallet. Well, that's a risk because that means that anybody in the organization could theoretically rug pull those. So we need to better understand how that works. Now, if there's some way that they're able to issue the certificates, but leave the onus on the user to create the wallet and just simplify that process, to where the user maintains control of the mnemonic or the private key in a much easier to understand interface that alleviates that. I didn't see that in what I saw on the site. So that would be my main concern there is who would have access if it's true that they're spinning up the wallet for them, who would have access to those credentials? In terms of the tokenomics, there's a, they did a pre-sell, as I said, they've locked a portion of the tokens. There's a vesting part for the developers. There's a burn. They burned roughly 20 some odd percent. There's a portion for the founders, portion for development team, portion for legal. They're going to need that portion for infrastructure and marketing. Then they have what they call as a, a deflationary set of tactics. So they've got reflection, liquidity. So liquidify, burn in each trade. And then there's fees that go to holders and liquidity pools and then, of course, the upfront burn. So the goal is to immediately jump the value as this thing launches and people buy on board and then an aggressive push beyond this and then backed by the NFTs. You've heard me say I don't like tokens that heavily focus on the NFT you know, push that we're seeing recently. 
I think Crypto Vault does a great job of balancing that line of not heavily pushing the NFTs at the forefront. Their certificate is the first thing you see on their site. It is that this is the reason we exist is this function here, this tool. Then they explain, here's how this works. The certificate certificate down below. There's a function that talks about the NFT vault gallery, but you're not inundated with with NFT images like these other ones that I've been critical of. It is something that they know will be part of the offering because for those that didn't know, NFTs are essentially a different form of crypto token, quote unquote. They just take a different form. And the challenge with NFTs, of course, is that NFTs are subjective in their value. Some people see value in garbage art, like the Bored Apes garbage, for example. Some people just like collecting NFTs like Snoop Dogg. Some people get NFTs for free, which is the case with me. I've never spent a dime for an NFT. I've never sold any of my NFTs either because nobody wants to buy them because they're not the garbage art. They're actually very nice artwork. But Crypto Vault doesn't push it in your face. It's not, it's like one section of their site that talks about NFTs. Everything else is around the fundamentals of why they're here, which is that crypto certificate. That appeals to me. It strongly resonates with me that they took the time to make sure that they don't lose focus of the real reason that they're here. They talk about generational wealth. They talk about family asset management. They are, in my opinion, solving real world problems outside of the crypto bubble. That's why I think it stands out. I will also add, they have now defeated Dogezilla for having the best overall white paper in terms of information. I'll get to that in a second. In terms of information of any token I've seen, their white paper is basically a bunch of slides and that's okay. I would rather it not be slides, but I'm just picky that way. But in terms of the information, it is arguably the bar none best white paper I have seen. You finally, somebody has usurped Dogezilla and the masterpiece that that one did in how this works. I thought it was amazing in this. They start with a disclaimer where they tell you, we're not recommending that you buy it. We're not recommending that you do anything. We can't control pricing of any of this stuff. We're not telling you how to invest your money. We can't, if you lose money, you lose money. They treat it as an investment. They're telling you it's an investment. So unlike the other garbage, they're telling you this is an investment and you're going to need to get some financial advice. We can't help you on what the right answer is, nor can I, to be fair. I cover it and share the information, but you have to make your own decision as to whether you choose to go in or not based on what you see. They give the why. They go to details about how the, at the high level, with what they can share, about how the vault token works and what's going to be used for, how the time lock works, how the certificate's going to work. They talk about the people. They talk about the project and what it does and the problem it's designed to solve. And they go into details about, this is our mission. This is why we're here. Here's our vision for what we want this to be. Here's the problems we see that need to be solved. And then here's a slight look inside how our vault will work and how this we think is going to solve real world problems and the long-term plan. Then they go into the who and they give you names. They give you faces in the white paper. It's also on the site, but I like to see it in the white paper because again, I can download it and hold them accountable. You've heard me say that. And then of course the roadmap uh, that's also on the website. This is a copy of the website. That's okay. 
at least they give it to you of what the roadmap is. They give you samples of what they're thinking of the NFTs, but they don't heavily focus on it, which again is always my heartburn. When there's an excessive focus on NFTs, I think it turns people off. Here it's not. Here it's kind of a, by the way, if you're interested to see kind of what we're thinking, here's how these certificates might look and here's how the NFT certificates in the NFT gallery might look. And then they talk high level about the security behind the crypto vault. Again, the one thing I just was concerned of with the security is to know who would have access to the mnemonics, who would have access to the private keys. Those I don't think are answered questions. And they're very careful not to divulge too much information because they don't want somebody to breach the security that they got in place. I support them withholding certain information, but I think the answer to the question about the, how the wallet would work, if it's a wallet, that's what I'm inter interpreting here, how that would work, who has access to the keys, and how it may impact security. Then they break down the tokenomics very well in the breakout for the tokens and the fees, the anti-whale, the anti-whales around a cap. So it's a cap around sale transactions, which if you've heard me before, I said that there's not really any perfect anti-whale mechanic. So if people are going to want to dump, they're going to want to dump. My theory, though, is that this is a strong enough real world project that you're not going to have excessive amounts of dumps. You're always going to have dumps because there are people that don't really care about the project. They're just there to make profit. And especially if it gets on any of the exchanges, those people don't even see the project. They don't care. They just see an opera. They see green candles, they buy in and then they, they sell. And so I think there's going to be some well activity happening. So there's nothing you can really do. But I suspect that the nature of the project, at least up front, this is my gut speaking, there's not going to be very many people that are going to want to do it. They're going to want to kind of long play this and let it play and see how high this can go. Because there's no reason under these tokenomics, under a one trillion token total supply for tokens and the breakout that they have with the burn that they did, it's in the billions. And I You've heard me say that I think 100 trillion, 200 trillion is kind of the perfect inventory to have. So this is significantly lower than that. But in this case, I think it's okay because of the nature of what they're doing. In the tokens that don't have this kind of utility, your doges of the world that don't, I'm talking not doge coin, but just, you know, baby doge, mega doge, you know, those dog coins that don't do anything. The only gimmick they can rely on is the psychological of millions and millions and billions and billions and trillions and trillions of tokens in something like this that has a utility that's a real world utility outside of the bubble. I think here it's okay to have a constrained inventory and it's not excessively constrained. It is constrained, I think, enough that the price movement should be healthy. They did a pre-sale. We have to see how the pre-sale plays in because most of the people who bought into the pre-sale, as with Seifu, it's probably going to follow that same pattern of super FOMO pump, a super jump when it launches. Now, we'll have to test if the anti-whale is able to do its job and prevent the excessive dump we see with Seifu where it drops, you know, 50%. I don't know what the answer is. I'm saying that from what I see in this one and the utility of it, I would be shocked, I guess, if people now, because we're not talking exchanges, we're talking in decent. I would be shocked if people looked at the fundamentals of what they're doing and they wanted to just dump it fresh off the gate 
because they would be losing so much money potential, in my opinion, because you're talking burn activities, you're talking reflection activities, you're talking the marketing of what it's doing, the fact that it solves real world problems, the fact that it appeals outside the bubble. Like there's so many things. This is something that our United States government should have thought of. Like if I'm honest, they should have thought of something like this. The idea that, okay, let's solve our crypto challenges by tying it to a, a bond or something of, of note, quote unquote, that can persist your ownership of a thing better than the blockchain could ever do rather than trying to chase after a digital dollar that doesn't really solve the problem, I guess I would, this is what they should have done. In my opinion, I think it's brilliant. And again, they're not the only ones to do it. I think they're the best in how they have built it. So I was very impressed with the white paper. Number one white paper in the business that I've seen. It's not the garbage get book. It's a PDF. You can hold them accountable for it. The website's very clear in what they're trying to do. The, it solves a real world problem. They are transparent in who they are. They're transparent in how they want this to work. And again, this has a lot of eyes on it. I would strongly recommend this one uh, from what I see as part of a diverse portfolio, 100%. I see very few concerns. To summarize, the only concerns I have would be if it's true that the certificate is backed by a spun up wallet, which I assume it would have to be, because that would be the only way to store the crypto, then who would have access to that mnemonic and the private key? And how do we ensure that that information is not improperly available to the people behind Crypto Vault is number one. Number two, what happens if Crypto Vault, the organization behind it, and they built an LLC, but what happens if that organization goes kaputs or something happens, they become insolvent, something happens. How do we ensure, like this is the challenge with not having it be a governmental thing, is how do we know that what we issue will still have the same persistent value? I assume that because it's backed by a wallet, that that's where your ownership interest comes into play. But this goes back to the question about who holds the mnemonic and the private key and how would you gain access to it? Let's say they spin up some interface and you would go in and enter the certificate code. And I'm pretty sure that's the way it works. And it gives you access to the certificate data. We're assuming that that interface is persistently hosted. And that means that Crypto Vault has to always exist. So as long as Crypto Vault is a custodian, they can never go away. What I would like to see is somehow a Web3 interface that's not dependent on any company. It's not dependent on AWS. It's not dependent on any public cloud or anything, but it's a straight IPFS. And don't worry about what that means. Anybody who's on the dev team will know what I'm talking about. Some sort of IPFS based portal that will always persist well beyond you or I that we can always go to in order to access these assets so that we're not tethered to the crypto vault co company LLC. If any of those devs want to come on and talk it out, I would love to smoke. I would love to hear and talk with you because I do think it's an intriguing thought process and I'm, I'm, I'm cheering for you, but these are fundamental concerns about custody ownership, the mnemonic private key, and how do we make sure, because we are trying to simplify the crypto ownership part of it, but there's a risk of that because when you abstract that ownership, how is that any different from exchanges, right? Not your keys, not your currency. How do we solve, how have we solved that problem? 
Crypto Vault, CryptoVault.net on the Binance Smart Chain. I would recommend you take a look at it. For And I would call out two categories of listeners. Number one, if you know people, or even yourself, but if you know people who just, we're, we're sick and tired of the way crypto, it's complexity of a thing. I suggest you look at this one because I think it can provide a solution to that problem and simplify it, but still allow you to benefit from it, especially when we talk about Bitcoin. Category two would be if you're trying to create generational wealth that lasts beyond you, wealth that you can pass down to your children or to your nieces or whatnot, I would recommend you take a look at this because I think that it offers a simpler way that's common. It's it's very parallel to what we know of in the bonds world where we can create something that has a store of value and pass it down to someone because what a lot of parents are doing now is they'll just create a wallet for their kid and let their kid watch it. That's fine. But, and most of the younger folks, you know, the teenagers, they can figure out the whole wallets and crypto pretty quick, but we, we, everything's changing. The scope of everything's changing and it may bear thinking about a simpler way to just store value for them rather than exposing them to the scam risk. Like, does that make sense? Because you could, maybe you're the custodian of which projects they buy into. Maybe you're buying it for them. Maybe you're the only one that can purchase crypto for them and they can't do anything with it. Like a bank account that they don't have access to, they don't have a debit card for. But I, I just personally think it's a smarter bet to have something like the certificates that's value for them. You store it. And if there's a physical certificate, that'd be even better because you could toss it in a file cabinet, but you store it, you have it available. If, and when come time that you want to pass it down to them, then it's a matter of just transfer ownership and kind of go from there. Cryptovault.net. Take a look at that one. See if it makes sense for you. Devs, if you are listening, I would love to have you on the show and talk out what you're doing so I can help spread the word. But I would love to get some answers to the fundamental things about the mnemonic, the private key and custody and ownership and all those things just to kind of circle the wagons because I don't see it here. I looked in the audits. The audits are clean, so I'm not concerned. It's not a concern of that. I think you're scammers. It's not that it's I just want to make sure that information isn't clear in the information provided. And I think it's helpful for investors to understand exactly what's going to happen with those key pieces to make sure that there's no risk of not having access to those assets well beyond you or I living on this earth. So that was Crypto Vault on the Binance Smart Chain did launch. And as I mentioned earlier, unfortunately, they lacked a lot of mechanics that I think they needed to prevent dumping. And my theory, I have no evidence, but my theory is that some of the shillers that they used, because there were a lot of them, were some of the ones that dumped the project early on. And my theory, I have no evidence, is that some of those shillers may have told the project team not to put anti-whale to enable them to dump the project. I have no evidence of any claims I make. I simply follow patterns. Pattern I saw is that it had very strong initial pump, very strong, and then it dumped and it hasn't really recovered since. I did purchase a little bit of a bag because I believe in the project. I think it's a good project and perhaps it's going to recover in the long term. After I recorded that snippet that you heard on YouTube, they actually had made a change in their white paper and they introduced anti-whale. It's kind of too late, but they introduced a, basically a staircase to tax structure to discourage dumping, excessively more dumping. It's kind of, again, already too late because anybody who would have dumped has already dumped out. I think what they were trying to do 
here with this change was if we get any more cells of any kind, we got to make it right for everybody else who stayed in the project. It does actually have reflections. So anybody who kept their bag would still be getting reflections and hopefully people would buy off the dip. Cause I say it again, I think it's a very good, strong project for what it does that solves a real world problem. And the challenge I have with them it was they don't want to smoke. They didn't respond when I tried to help them avoid this catastrophe that happened. I do think it'll recover, but I get really frustrated when these tokens go after shillers who then just damage them, damage the investors, and they already have it hard being on the Binance smart chain. So hopefully one day a token will do the right thing, not go after shillers. And these guys aren't really excessively in telescam, so that's good, but not go after shillers, not go after telescam and try to do things differently and run like a business and reach out to people like myself that are neutral and covered that are trying to help them. I've messaged this particular group a couple times, got no response whatsoever. I don't know what that's about because I really do want to help token succeed and avoid this because this one's gold. It's, it's similar to the way I felt about Paratoken before they started screwing up. That's a long story. I didn't tell the main podcast that. I will probably do so at some point in the future, maybe on Thursday's episode. I will share what the story was there because I did do an update on that one. But this one feels like what I felt from before. It feels like this one solves a real problem. It feels like it should self-market itself. And I was just really frustrated that they had turned to shillers and then allowed the shillers to dump on them. In any event, please take a look at it if you think it makes sense. I do think it's a strong project. I really firmly honestly do think it's a strong project that's unlike any other project you can think of by way of a strong utility behind it. And I think they just made bad decisions and I'm hopeful that their marketing is good enough to recover and get more people, get more eyes on the product and bring it back to the level of growth I think it should have by now. That's all I got for you here today. I'm going to be getting back on my groove to finish up my websites and all my migrations and everything I got working on for Gentleman's World tomorrow, as well as my recording that I've got on Thursday. I will check back in with you guys uh, on Thursday for the next episode of Basic Cryptonomics. And again, CryptoTalkRadio.net is the site. If you'd like to share that out, I would greatly appreciate it. There are a lot of updates that are going exclusive to YouTube, and that's only because of timing. What happens is you'll have some sort of a project that comes out or that I'm made aware of, and it's doing some sort of a pre-sale or it's an urgent release or something was just brought to my attention and I want to notify people and do a quick coverage on it and I put it to YouTube. But by the time the next cycle comes around for the main podcast, it's already rug pulled. That happened with this Forever Financial Freedom token. It didn't make sense for me to do the coverage on the podcast because it had already rug pulled by the time I was going to cover it on the show. So things like that are happening a lot and those I've kind of just decided it will be exclusive to YouTube. If I see there's not really strong value by the time I release it, then I put it dedicated to YouTube and just kind of go to a different token. But I will always have a token that I cover on the podcast that's more mainstay. It looks like it's more stable. It's not going to go anywhere. Or maybe it's a follow on on a previous token. I have a number of those I've got to do. So for Thursday, chances are I'm going to be revisiting a token I covered before and I've got a couple in mind. Because they've had some dramatic changes that I think are worth your time, in addition to a new underdog token. That's probably what I'll do just to kind of shore the gaps on that. But I do want to just let you know, CryptoTalkRadio.net on the YouTube side does have some specifically unique, exclusive content. If you're interested in that content 
it's targeted. It's directly to a given token or subject as opposed to an omnibus episode, which is what the podcast is. You're not going to get news necessarily on YouTube, for example. I don't very do very many internal updates on YouTube. Podcast is more totality. I want to cover a lot of different areas and a lot of different subjects in one episode so that it's actually worth your time. And I try to do the underdog tokens as much as possible. I try to revisit as much as possible. YouTube is really kind of more spot coverage. Think of it that way. Anyhow, I will check back in with you guys on Thursday. Keep safe. And remember, a lot of these projects that not only ones I covered, but ones that you hear of or that you see. Remember, the safest thing you can always consider doing is make sure that you don't ever invest more than you can afford to lose. Because we are seeing an increase in the number of scams and the number of projects that just kind of disappear in the night. And it's getting harder to really assess them and find out which ones are truly legitimate and which ones are not. People like myself do the best we can, but ultimately you can insulate yourself by just making sure to treat them all as a gamble and evaluate it over time. Some of these will take some time before they, if they are going to cheat you or rug you, they take time to get to that point and you just don't know up front. There's a number of tokens I will be talking about on Thursday's episode that fit in this category where it was around for a little bit of a while and people thought it was legitimate and then the worst happened. And I'm going to dedicate next episode to those kind of tokens so you can understand why we always say don't invest more than you can afford to lose take care